Hello, and thanks for tuning in to CFRC and to this project, Live and Alive, which is an exploration into live music in Kingston, focusing especially on the homegrown live music festival, Joe's Mill, and their impacts on the Kingston community. My name is Sam Kaiser, and I'm happy to share this project with you through the Robert H. Black Documentary Residency Program here at the station in collaboration with the Department of Film and Media at Queen's University. The Robert H. Black Documentary Residency Program Fund was established in 2013 in order to provide an opportunity for emerging media artists, journalists, and broadcasters to learn about and work on audio documentary production techniques at CFRC. I highly recommend applying for this project as it is a great learning opportunity and applications we asked for again in the fall of 2019. Now just quickly a bit about me. I'm a first year undergraduate student in the Faculty of Arts and Sciences here at Queens. I'm also, like many of the students at Queens, not from Kingston, so it's been interesting adapting and learning more about the city, especially through this project. I'm very interested in music and performance, and one of the many things that drew me to Queens was what I perceived to be a large live music scene in downtown Kingston. Although I knew that Kingston was the home of the tragically hip, it was still surprising to me that there was such a cultivated music scene in the many bars, brew houses, and cafes downtown. This notion became the basis of this project. I wanted to know why Kingston had such a bustling live music scene compared to other cities of similar size, and in what ways the community benefited from the environment. In doing more research, I identified the Homegrown Live Music Festival as an example of a cultivator of the live music encouraging environment, as it benefits local artists and supports a cause started by a renowned Kingston-bred musician, Joe Chithelin. That cause is the Joe Chithelin Musical Instrument Lending Library, known locally as Joe's Mill. I set out to speak to some of the persons involved with Homegrown and with Joe's Mill, and recorded interviews with them that you'll get to hear in this program. I've tried to keep them as unedited and as raw as possible to try and convey all of what they were saying clearly. I first spoke to Tyler Flynn, who was the head library coordinator at Joe's Mill. We discussed the history and growth of Joe's Mill and its cause and services. All right, uh, hi Tyler, thanks for speaking to me today. I understand you're the library coordinator and head administrator here at Joe's Mill. If you'd like to give just a quick background on the organization and what you guys do, that'd be great. All right, yeah, so Joe's Mill, uh, the Joe Chittle and Memorial Musical Instrument Lending Library. We uh, supply instruments for free to the community. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a library just like for books, but uh, we, we lend instruments. So you can come here and borrow any instrument. You got guitars, keyboards, all sorts of stuff um, for four weeks. And uh, yeah, the only charge is a, is a $15 annual uh, sort of registration fee. Uh, and then aside from that, everything else is free. Sweet. And uh, where do you guys get your instruments from? Uh, almost all the instruments are donated. Uh, so it's uh, mothers who uh, find, find their, their uh, uh, long-moved-on child's old saxophone or clarinet in the closet, or uh, people who know about our service, and when they, when they die, they leave our, their instruments to us. Great. So um, uh, in terms of Joe Cheslin and um, his legacy, do you think, like, um, how do you think the, the mill came about? Like, what was the idea behind it? Yeah, sure. So Joe was uh, a very active musician and like just generally like a really active community member in here in Kingston. And uh, he had always talked with uh, many of his friends about, um, you know, there's a there's a quote from him on our website that says, uh, wouldn't it be great if everyone had access to music or something to that effect? Mm -hmm. um, and so he had he had sort of always thought about this idea or talked to his friends about it. 
when he was 32, he was touring with his band in Amsterdam, and he died of a peanut allergy, tragically. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had he ha- had enough of a, a, of an outreach in the community, and uh, he had talked to about about this idea to enough close friends that they wanted to um, establish this uh, musical instrument lending library in his memory. Uh, so a close friend of his, Wally High, uh, who has since uh, deceased as well, um, he sort of started the whole thing uh, very shortly after Joe's death, actually. I think Joe died in May or April of 1999, and within a couple of months, uh, Wally had uh, done a couple of fundraising shows and sort of gotten the, gotten the gears turning for this. And as I said earlier, um, by early 2000, we had actually done our first loan so it was a really quick process in the right. beginning yeah, for sure that's a great legacy to leave behind especially for a live musician in Kingston absolutely um, in so I understand with the Homegrown Music Festival there's a little bit of a relation there with Joe's Mill could that's you right. talk about that a bit yeah so uh, the man who has been running Joe's Mill for the past uh, 10 years just before I sort of took over the administrative reins, he was doing everything from instrument maintenance to administration to event planning. His name's Roger Eccleston. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, him and a friend, uh, Tom Stewart, had the idea to, uh, to fill a gap in the, in, the, in, the, in the Kingston music scene, and they created Homegrown. And uh, they've raised over $100,000 for Joe's Mill in the 10 years that it's been active. Um, do you have a lot of live musicians come into Joe's Mill to either borrow uh, instruments or maybe get them repaired or however? That Absolutely, works? yeah. We don't actually offer repair services, okay, yeah. um, but uh, we, we were busy enough repairing our own sure. instruments when you have over 900 instruments going in and out all the time. Uh, you know, some of them tend to get broken, especially if they're donations, old dusty right. instruments from closets. Um, but we do have a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of local musicians who come in and uh, either contribute to the service or uh, a lot of our fundraising is actually done through local shows like that first, uh, Wally called it a Joe show, yeah. um, the, that first fundraiser that Wally did for, for Joe right after his death uh, has sort of continued over the last 20 years, not necessarily in that name, but mm-hmm. lots of local musicians know about us and they want to give back and uh, so, uh, there, are, there are some uh, local musicians that have actually sort of uh, gotten their start with Joe's Mill. Uh, the kid on the front of our current uh, brochure, I don't have any here, but there's some on the table over there. Um, the kid on the, on the cover of our current brochure, he recently, this brochure was made, I don't know, 10 years ago? Uh, maybe a little longer? But uh, he's no longer a kid, yeah. and he, uh, he recently did a music video, and he borrowed an instrument from Joe's Mill, and it was in the music video, and uh, he sort of got his start there. Um, we have had support from the Tragically Hip in the past, um, from... Uh, yeah, I can't name any other ones off the top of my head. As I said, I'm relatively new to the organization. Um, But uh, there, there is uh, there's one example that I can think of now is uh, Brock Young. He's a he's a young musician. He's about twelve or thirteen years old, I think. Um, and he he uh, 
he got his start borrowing instruments from Joe's Mill. Uh, he started playing guitar about a year and a half ago, I think, and um, so he, he just, you know, he didn't have any musical background in his family or anything. He heard about the service, came here and borrowed a guitar and did entirely self-taught, and he's been doing shows almost every weekend downtown. He's given uh, a lot of, uh, he's donated a lot of the funds from those shows to Joe's Mill. He's opening for a lot of bands downtown, so that's a really, uh, really inspiring example of, of one uh, very young local musician who sort of got his start here, as well as that guy who was borrowing instruments from Joe's Mill and continues to borrow them for his music videos. Yeah, sure. Um, so talking about the music building, um, we're obviously in the Tenth Center right now, really close to Queen's University. Um, do you notice a lot of Queen's University students, maybe who have left their instruments at home and want to continue playing? Do you think they come here quite a bit? Absolutely, yeah. So we haven't collected many stat uh, statistics on that, uh, but I actually am creating a survey uh, for collecting statistics like that right now. And um, one of the, I, I, I asked the question in the survey, like, why did you come to Joe's Mill? Is it to like use uh, to borrow an instrument while your regular professional one is under repair? Like, um, are you borrowing an instrument for the first time you're trying to learn, or are you a student and you? Uh, so I, I do see a lot of that. Right. Yeah. Do you notice many student bands like coming from Queens or? No? Yeah, there's a couple. Yeah, there are some. Again, none that I can name, but okay. I, I could. I could tell you when they walk in the door, I could recognize their faces and say, yeah, those guys have borrowed an amp and, and, and a bass and a keyboard for, you know, a, a year now or something like that. We also have a lot of uh, members of the Queen Symphony uh, oh. who come here and uh, and borrow cellos, mostly. For sure. Uh, so you mentioned cellos. What's your, like, what do you, what's your library composed? Have I seen any guitars here? Absolutely, yeah. So guitars are sort of the most popular thing. Guitars, uh, keyboards... Um, uh, both uh, acoustic and electric guitars, uh, keyboards. We also have um, a whole bunch of band instruments, which you actually don't see around here because they're out during most of the school year to uh, middle school students. Oh, okay. So um, in the Limestone School Board, uh, in this area at least, they, uh, they mandate music classes for grade seven and eight students, but they don't provide the instruments. So uh, they've sort of gotten wind of our service, and they direct many students here. So we have about 20, 25 saxophones, 10 trombones, 20 trumpets, uh, 20 or 30 clarinets. So we have a whole handful of those instruments, but you don't see them around here anymore uh, because they're, they're out during most of the school year. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have uh, cellos, um, we have violas, violins, um, we have a stand-up bass, actually, wow. uh, which we try to keep out most of the time yeah, because it takes sure. up a lot of space. Sure. Likewise, we have about 20 drum kits in our inventory, uh, so we try to keep most of those out most of the time. Uh, when I joined the service, we had about 30 drum kits, so I sold off about 10 of them because they were just sitting here most of the time, and it seems like the tw 20 is a good number uh, to sort of meet our current demand, at least. Sure. Um, what, what would be a volunteer in, like, private? What would you yeah, so uh, the most common role as a volunteer here is actually um, at the front desks. 
uh, just acting as what we call a librarian, helping people check it, uh, in and out instruments, checking out instruments when they come back uh, for any damage, anything like that, helping people find the right instrument here, uh, helping people sign up for a registration, etc. Uh, but we also do uh, sort of accept volunteers at the board level and also for, um, uh, for, for, for other sort of outside projects like... Um, we are partnered with uh, with a man who makes um, he makes art out of old sort of dead instruments that we don't have any use for, and he uh, repurposes those instruments as art and uh, sells them, uh, and we get half of the profit. Uh, we have a couple of volunteers who do pro bono uh, instrument repair for us, um, and as I said, our whole board is volunteers, and we're always looking for. Uh, sort of, sort of administrative help as well as sort of on on site help. Thanks again to Tyler Flynn for helping out with this project and sharing the message of Joe's Mill. I was very happy to learn more about the mill and its impact on the Kingston community, as well as how the live music scene continues to help and support the organization. Another thanks to Tyler for the music you've just heard, played on one of the guitars at Joe's Mill. Next, I spoke to Chris Morris, who is a local musician in Kingston, as well as the current coordinator of the Homegrown Live Music Festival. So I'm a, I'm a musician and promoter. Um, started playing music when I was... 14 or so started promoting music when I was about 15 or 16 <laughs> so uh, there's been times when I've done both and times when I've done just one or the other so uh, yeah I um, I was a professional full-time promoter for a few years um, I did shows at the Scared Zone, Kokomo and the Elixir mm. a few other places and uh, now I do more sort of festivals and larger scale stuff uh, what kind of music did you play? Uh, folk, mostly. Right. Yeah, I'm a folk singer. So do you play guitar as well? Or? Yeah. All right, sweet. Um, so in terms of promoting music, did you also promote folk folk music or all sorts? Not not specifically. It started when I was in, in high school and we had this uh, at, at LCVI and there was a lunchtime coffee house kind of thing that um, we would do and everyone would get together in the drama room and play a few songs or whatever. And the, t- the teacher that uh, had started it, didn't have time to do it anymore. So, me and one of my other musician friends said, "Well, 
we, we kind of need this thing, so mm-hmm. why don't we do it? <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. I, you know, I, I always figured uh, I'm not going to wait around for someone else to give me a gig. I'm going <laughs> to... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to have to do it myself, and that was a great, uh, great spot to you know, try out new stuff and learn how to perform in front of an audience and learn how to mix sound and all this kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, and in terms of, like, mentioning getting gigs, and you already mentioned a bunch of, like, some of the live music locations in Kingston. Why do you think there are so many venues? Um, well, it's interesting. There's definitely nowhere near as many as there used to be. Mm. Um, and I actually just did a bit of an inventory <laughs> for uh, for an article a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there's about 27 venues in Kingston right now uh, I think most of the older musicians will tell you in the 80s and 90s there was there was way more everywhere mm-hmm. all the restaurants coffee shops they were all doing live music um, we're pretty lucky to have had a pretty good stock of uh, successful musicians come out of this town so mm-hmm. I think there's definitely an, an undertone of people appreciate it and know that you know we could easily breed the next big thing <laughs> at any given time um yeah i mean you know we're uh, we're an interesting place because uh it's a big university town obviously a big tourist town obviously mm-hmm. tourists love live music um you know you know i think any university town's gonna have great music because uh that's just something that you do while you're in post-secondary. Yeah, <laughs> you sure. start a band with people that you know have the same uh, interests as you from uh, across the country or around the world or whatever, and uh, you have the time and and uh, um, a kind of a built-in fan base to to follow you around a little bit. For sure. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned the university. Do you think there are a lot of student bands like still popping up? Yeah, uh, uh, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine. About a week or two ago, there's an interesting cycle of, of bands that sort of get really popular <laughs> in like yeah. their third or fourth year, and then you know, poof, they're gone. <laughs> yeah. Some of them stick together. Uh, uh, Bedouin Sound Clash, I think, is probably the most uh, famous one from Kingston, from Queens. That's sort of Queens bred. Mm-hmm. Um, Lost Cousins are the most recent example of that, I think. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, I mean, they're tragically hipped. I guess they didn't meet at Queens, but they all went to Queens. I think, course, or yeah. most of them did. But uh, um, so yeah, yeah, you know, Queens. Uh, I don't think has quite the. I don't think Alfie's is not even called Alfie's anymore, is it? No, it's, I think it's the underground. <laughs> the underground, yeah. yeah, they're not doing live music anymore, are they? I don't think so, or at least not as not as. Um, no, they used to do it all the time. I mean, really? I saw I saw the New Deal there. I saw. Um, lots of local bands there. Um, uh, I don't know if Clark is doing much music anymore. I think they do sometimes, like for certain events. Yeah. Um, the only place that I can think of that does it pretty consistently is the Grad Club. The Grad Club, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the Grad Club, I think, is it's pretty well renowned across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, was a, there was a poll a few years ago of, you know, I think it was listed as one of the top 10 small music venues in, in Canada <laughs> or something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Queens, yeah, there just needs to be, uh, like, do you think, like, well, e- even, uh, what's the, what's the, what's the, the, the QP? 
yeah, I, I saw Tegan and Sarah there. Really? In like two thousand one, two thousand two. Wow. Okay. When they were when they were still touring, just as the, just as the two of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there's two places that aren't really doing music anymore on, on campus, right? So, uh, yeah, the the AMS used to be famous for, <laughs> I think, a lot of. Uh, university booking agents are famous for <laughs> just kind of doing whatever and bringing anybody in they can and spending money yeah. and oh, we're gonna spend this budget if we don't get it next year right so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah uh, do you think like with fewer like the queen's pubs or like the queen's bars having live music do you think the, like the queen's audience is decreasing or anything i, I mean i'm 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 think i'm too far removed from university scene to really comment on that mm-hmm. but uh you know when i was booking at the elixir we booked a ton of queens bands okay All right. like at least one a week wow. <laughs> i think yeah. um because they were out there and you know most of the time they brought a great crowd you know like if there was a, a bunch of uh guys from uh, engineering or from law or whatever they'd always bring out their school of people right yeah Oh, the, these guys are a law band. Half, <laughs> yeah. half the law school comes out, right? Okay. So, um, I'm uh, I, I'm not really involved on that level, as mm-hmm. I said, as much as I used to be. So, um, but uh, I mean, you know, the grad club typically books touring bands and not a lot of local stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I don't know really know what Clark is doing. Um, you know those those bars that were really close proximity to 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 campus don't seem to be doing uh, as much booking as you know the elixir is where the Brooklyn is now. Yeah. You know it was 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 kind of right on the edge of the ghetto, so oh, it's a perfect spot yeah. to to book bands and a great stage and everything like that. So I think the uh, um, the venue availability close to campus is deadness. Mm-hmm. definitely changed in the last 10 15 years for sure so do you still play at these live locations like downtown yeah i play uh, i play at Miziki every wednesday with the goodnight irenes oh, okay all right um and uh um i don't play downtown that much there's not a ton of uh um places that book sort of solo folk singers i tend mm-hmm. to do more of like the 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 patio um pub kind of gigs yeah. than than playing late night at the toucan or whatever okay, so right, sure. uh, i mean i uh, i just played at sand tour uh, a couple weeks ago which is a really nice new venue mm-hmm. um i tend to play out of town a lot actually like in prince edward county oh, okay. um sort of like the smaller little touristy towns that um, like to have folk singers and are scared of big loud bands <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so like you said, like, when you do play downtown, like at Musiki, for example, do you yeah. notice, like, Queen's students? Or what, what do you think yeah. Queen's is mostly composed of? Well, Musiki is really interesting because, uh, you know, they've got the coffee, they've got the whiskey, they book a pretty wide range of music. There's jazz and there's folk and there's rock and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, our band, we play pretty traditional folk music. Um and it's always amazing that we get, uh, there's a lot of seniors that come to see us. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of students that come to see us. Oh, okay. And pretty much everything in between. So we'll, you know, easily be playing to a bunch of 20-year-olds and a bunch of 60, 70. We have a 
couple people in their eighties that come to see us quite regularly <laughs> because they grew up with, you know, Woody Guthrie and Hank Williams and yeah. uh, you know and and the Carter family and this kind of stuff. So, um, but we definitely see um, a lot of uh, younger students, and there's a lot of students that go there to study too, um, and. I don't know how someone studies with music in the background. I could never yeah. do it. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, um, yeah so uh, it's one of those places that I don't think really caters to any specific crowd. Okay. So, um, you know, Santour is a new brewery. It was it was a pretty young crowd there. So there's definitely, um, there's definitely students out mm-hmm. seeing live music for sure Sweet. and appreciating yeah. it. Uh, and like so now, just like transitioning, you said that you promote for festivals now a little yeah. bit more. Um, so I'm looking to focus a little bit on the homegrown festival as well. Yep. Um, like so, could you give a little bit of background on that? Like, what you know about that? So um, yeah, homegrown live was started by Tom Stewart um, ten years ago, eleven years ago now, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, was, there's been a few festivals that have used the same format in Kingston, going back to um, Matt Woodward used to organize the Live Music Lovers Weekend in the 90s, which was uh, pretty big for three or four years. Um, so Tom took over this, 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 this idea, this format of, you know, you pay five, ten bucks for a, a wristband, it gets you into all the venues. All the venues are sort of genre-specific. There's a rock venue, there's a blues venue, we do jazz at uh, at Sizzle. We do blues at the RCHA, Celtic at the Brew Pub. This kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and it's been a fundraiser for for the Joe Chitlin Memorial Musical Instrument Lending Library. We've raised uh, over a hundred grand since we started um, for for the mill. And I've been part of. Uh, I guess I sat out the first year, but I. I, I I guess advised a little bit because I'd I'd run a similar festival myself for two or three years, mm. and now I'm in charge of the festival. Oh, okay. <laughs> so right. Tom decided that the ten years was enough, and uh, and um, um, he asked me to take over, and I said, "Sure, why not?" <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. So in terms of like booking these uh, musicians, so it's yeah. like homegrown live. Like, are these Kingston based or Kingston like? Yeah, our 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 sort of. It, we we have a really interesting organization in that there's the festival coordinator and the committee, which is sort of three or four people, pardon me, and then there's a, a venue coordinator who looks after each individual v- venue. Mm-hmm. Um, we solicit applications. Um, our kind of only rule is that you should have a Kingston connection. Okay. Um, right. You know, Tom and I always debated a little bit <laughs> or how loose that should be. I thought it should be, you know... Um, I don't think it's good enough that your aunt used to live here (laughs) and that you hung out here a few times. I think you should actually have a member of the band, you know, here or something like that. But anyways, um, so the venue coordinators are actually responsible for booking their, their individual venues. We don't, on the sort of committee level, don't interfere with that. Um, We just uh, filter the applications through them. Right. And we help out if, if if someone needs help, and if someone says, "Well, I got a couple of people here that aren't really country. Can I move them over to the folk venue?" And you know, we sort of help out with that kind of stuff. But uh, so, as, yeah, as long as uh, um, you know uh, the bands um, have some sort of a Kingston connection, you know, 
they can play. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of these genre specific, specific locations, um, these are like bars or coffee houses or any like outside yeah events yeah for the most part uh, I think we've I think everything we've done has been in a in a in a in a, in a bar or uh, we've used a couple of like art studios and coffee shops and church halls and that kind of thing but okay. uh, some sort of a live music venue yeah Sweet. all right um, and in terms of like all these genres do you find it difficult to find like let's say for jazz do you find it difficult to find enough jazz musicians no not at all yeah. the the interesting thing is. You know, we sort of got in uh, for a while into sort of more, <laughs> I guess, more themes than genres. Like we had an original music venue, and we had a um, we had a singer songwriter venue, and uh, um, and that kind of thing. But honestly, like the bread and butter of homegrown is uh, jazz, Celtic, blues, folk, and country. Okay, all right. Um, which is interesting because there's far more. I think there's probably far more rock bands in Kingston than there is. Any other type of music, yeah. Um, you know, not coincidentally, we have three rock radio stations, <laughs> mm, uh, of the commercial stations at least. But uh, uh, yeah, no, those ones are always uh, really well attended, and um, yeah, I, I think maybe the problem with the rocks that we've had these sort of <laughs> sort of splintered ideas over the years. So I don't know if uh, if we're going to be able to sort of refine that a little bit more this year. Like we, you know, we used to have Canadiana. And <laughs> stuff like that, and just sort of some stuff that was a little harder to to sell to the the, the random people that would just want to show up. So, sure. yeah. but the people people go to the Celtic venue and they stay there all day, really? and there will be ten hours of Celtic bands, no problem. Wow. Uh, jazz, it's always like I guess there's not a lot of opportunities for jazz uh, musicians to kick. There's no real jazz venue. True. Um, yeah. The jazz festival kind of fell apart a few years ago, and is part of Skeleton Park now. So, I think when you're a jazz musician and you want a gig, and yeah. <laughs> you know you don't mind playing half an hour for free, then it's a it's a pretty good uh, um, opportunity for for people to play. So, yeah, no, those ones, no problem at all. Yeah. <laughs> so you said like play thirty minutes for free. These all these musicians are they volunteers? Yeah. Okay. So we book uh, on average about ninety. 90 acts every year um from from solo to like you know small ensembles <laughs> yeah yeah um so i think i think we had a guess that there's probably 400 musicians on average playing every every homegrown um and uh, they all do it for free we make sure that they get a, a drink from the bar or yeah. whatever um but uh yeah it's uh, it's it's really amazing to see every year the enthusiasm. And it's a lot of people that I only ever see at homegrown. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> they don't play around very much or they might, they might only be like, uh, um, they might only play open mics and they don't actually book their own gigs. So, okay. you know, think like once a year they kind of treat themselves or whatever and they bring their kids and their parents and whatever out. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of neat to see actually the people that, uh, that only really play for that. And some of the professional uh, people that are, you know, full-time or nearly full-time musicians, you know, a lot of them, because of the cause, because of the library, because of Joe, are, are usually happy to play for, for, you know, half an hour in an afternoon or whatever. Yeah. Uh, do you have a lot of repeat performers every year? Or? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, uh, like I booked the folk venue for, for nine years. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, there was definitely... Um, 
you know, I just sort of be waiting for the applications from a few people. Like, yeah, okay, you're in, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, do you, like in terms of the musicians coming in, are they? Do you think? Maybe like older musicians or newer music. Do you think they're more? No, it's all over for sure. It's all yeah. Yeah, like uh, I, I can speak most uh, uh, eloquently about the folk venue because because that was my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was definitely um, I think this the same as you know <laughs> the audience at, at Musiki. A lot of uh, a lot of young people and a lot of um, older people. A lot of retired folks. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, folk is, is, is one of those terms that means something different to, to everybody, right? I sure. mean, when I think of folk music, I think of, um, because of I, I, I listen to a lot of very traditional folk music. Mm-hmm. Um, Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly and um, that kind of stuff. Sometimes you say folk music and someone thinks Jewel. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's... Maybe it's Ed Sheeran or yeah, <laughs> whatever it is. Maybe, maybe it's uh, maybe it's Bob Dylan. Maybe it's Cat Stevens or Joni Mitchell or or uh, Cheryl Crow. Like who, who knows what people think when you hear folk music, right? So, yeah. um, definitely get people that come in that could play probably anywhere, yeah. <laughs> but you know, if it's kind of got an acoustic guitar in it, that's that's good enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so now just like, again, like just another quick transition from the Homegrown Festival to Joe's Mill and the sure. connection there. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, like you mentioned some of the musicians coming in to like, sort of like pay respects to Joe in, in terms of performing, do you think that's yeah. a lot of the motive between, like, behind a lot of the musicians coming in? Uh, a lot for sure. I mean, uh, you know, Joe's been gone 20 years now, right? It's going to be 20 years, I think, yeah, I think so, uh, yeah. in, uh, in, in, in the spring um so i mean that's it's a long time there's <laughs> a lot of musicians uh that would have known him or uh you know or maybe maybe they've they've left town or you know mm-hmm. a few of them have passed on themselves um and there's definitely a lot of musicians that would have never had a chance to meet him yeah you know either they're they're too young or or they just moved to town a few years ago or whatever so mm-hmm. um it's pretty easy to convince somebody <laughs> of, uh, of 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 why Joe's important to us yeah. um, and what he meant to the scene. Um, so uh, you know, Joe aside, you know he's uh, like I said, he has been been gone a while, um, and the mill is his legacy, and the mill doesn't is such an incredible thing to a musician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, so unique sure. yeah. that it doesn't. It doesn't need that, like, it, uh, I don't want to sound whatever, but, like, Joe's name doesn't need to be attached to it for people to understand how great it is. Yeah. Right? just so happens that was the spark um, um, to, to, to start it, and that's how, you know, his family decided to honor his legacy. Mm-hmm. So, but, like I said, I mean, I, 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 I've talked about the mill all over the world. <laughs> like I was in Scotland last year and met some people who were doing something kind of similar. And, oh, yeah. uh, and I said, I told them all about what we have here and how big it is and how popular it is. They're just totally blown away. Yeah. <laughs> and this was a little town in, uh, in the Orkney islands. Wow. Sweet. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I spoke to Tyler Flynn, um, who's like one of the library coordinators yep. now, um, at Joe's Mill the other day. And, uh, it was great just to talk to him about like, 
their services and just the like the sheer amount of instruments they have is insane. And yeah, so I just wanted to like focus on the Homegrown Festival and Joe's Mill and their connection there because sure. I kind of identified it as a thing where like me, like live musicians help the community in like providing this service yeah. and then also the community helps to cultivate this sort of environment where there's still like festivals that are still being put on and lots of live music venues even though there are lesser now as you say right but i still like do you think it's like that's one of the catalysts for why kingston still has a pretty prominent music scene like is joe's mill the catalyst yeah joe's mill yeah and like i guess i like the connection between the homegrown and joe's mill but joe's mill for sure yeah well i saw a big downturn in the live music scene in about it's it, it started the venue started to decrease. I'd say the late nineties. Okay. Um, Scherzo came back in. It was doing live music seven nights a week, and that sort of bolstered things up a little bit. It went down the hill. You know, the uh, Elixir stopped doing live music, and a lot of places really sort of scaled back. And you know, the mansion opened in what two thousand six, seven, something like that. Um, they were doing live music seven nights a week. Homegrown started in 2008, and there hadn't been anything like that in five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just sort of one big celebration of live music. Yeah. And personally, I saw a big jump from the first Homegrown yeah. to the second Homegrown and sort of a bit of a revival of the music scene. Okay. Uh, I really honestly think that Homegrown had a big part in that. It got musicians into venues that they might not have gotten into. Yeah. Um, you know, there's 15, 20 of us that help put Homegrown on. Um, those are 15, 20 people that wouldn't have been exposed otherwise to like half of these bands, mm-hmm. three quarters of these bands. Yeah. yeah <laughs> sure. So I'm sitting at the folk venue listening to 15. 16 different acts, you know, and then I start booking another venue professionally. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> I know that guy's pretty good, and I know she's really good, and those guys maybe not so much. Yeah. But uh, but it just gives, uh, you know, and uh, even some of the venues might say, well, look how well we did on this day. Maybe we should really think about bringing live music back again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so. Sure. Um, and I think, honestly, it's, um, musicians always talk about playing for exposure. No one really wants to play for exposure. Yeah. But you have to a little bit, especially when you're starting out. Mm-hmm. You know, do a half hour set, you might get a couple of gigs out of it. You yeah. might make a few fans. Sure. You know, um, so yeah, to put, you know, 10 different bands in 10 different venues in one day. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be something there that'll that'll plant a seed, sure. so to speak. <laughs> in somebody's head, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I think that's most of my questions. Uh, thank you for coming in. Oh, cool. Um, when is the Homegrown Festival? Uh, it's Saturday, May 4th. Saturday, May 4th. All right, is there anything else you'd like to say? We really have... Uh, a ton of talent here and 
honestly, I couldn't say why. Um, we have a lot of support from music fans, um, some of the venues, uh, the city itself, like the municipality has been getting behind it, and some of the, the various arms of the local government are getting behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, there's, especially in the summertime, there's a bunch of free live music, like in in Confederation Basin mm. or in Market Square, um, you know, plus the all, all the venues that are right down around that area. The West End's come a long way in the last few years. Mm. Like, just in the last two years, there's been four new places in the West End that'll, that'll book live music, wow. which is double what it was, <laughs> you know, uh, before that. Uh so I think um, with organizations like Joe's Mill that actually support, you know, like getting musicians, uh, sorry, getting instruments into musicians' hands yeah. uh, and then having these places, you know, um, somewhere like the Toucan, which has been doing live music for 30, 35 years, yeah, sure. you know, book some of the earliest gigs for the Mahones and Weeping Tile and, and that kind of stuff, you know. Um, we, have, we have a great history and we have a lot of talent. And we have a lot of people that like um, supporting live music at the, like I said, at the government level, at a, at a, at a business level, and at a, at just as, as fans. So we're really, really lucky. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was kind of a rambling no, <laughs> sort of thing I said there. Perfect, but yeah. uh, You know, uh, as a musician, as a promoter, and as someone who just likes seeing live music, there's, there's, a, there's something going on every night. Yeah. So it's really cool. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, it's great. I think, like, just personally, like, coming in, like, from someone who's not from Kingston, um, coming in and seeing how much that's, like, how much is happening downtown, that, like, literally, like, every night you could go out and see live music if you wanted to, if you, yeah. like, search it out. Yeah. And it honestly isn't that hard to find. Yeah. So, yeah. Actually, there, there's one thing I want to talk about. All right. Um, if uh, I read an interesting thing um, a little while ago, it was uh, it was a really early history of the hip. Okay. Um, when they were all still in high school, and uh, it talked about a bunch of gigs that they'd played, and they were playing at. Well, there's actually a famous bootleg of the hip playing at the Cobra Penny really? restaurant on on Princess Street, yeah, yeah. which I've been you know, going to see live music for 25, 30 years. <laughs> I've never had a band there. <laughs> but at one point, they booked the hip. And it's a really good bootleg. It's cool to listen to. It's like like long before their first EP came out, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you, uh, you know, they talk about um, doing gigs, you know, hanging out with Hugh Dillon from the Headstones and David Usher from Moist. And you see all these all, all these names of people that became became famous especially in the 90s mm-hmm. and when i was a kid in high school um we had almost every weekend there was a show that we could go to that was just high school bands it would wow. be at a church basement or it'll be in the school cafeteria or uh, you know we used to do a lot of shows at the polish hall the baby grand all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i don't think i don't think kids in high school have that opportunity anymore so yeah. it'd be interesting to see maybe 10 years from now um how that affects the live music scene sure. because i mean I, I can get together with any of my high school friends and we can talk you know for quite some time yeah. about uh but all these bands like uh logan seed and the billingsleys and sister sweet cheeks and all, <laughs> all the bands that we used to go and see every weekend 
Um, and it was great because, you know, we didn't have to, you know, they were, they were always at, like I said, church basements or whatever, where there was no alcohol. So there's never any issues with, with, uh, you know, security and ID and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Sure. I mean, we don't, we definitely did shows at, at, at AJ's and, and smidgies and whatever, but, um, um, I, I, I just don't know where kids are, are playing now. Yeah. Like I know, you know, the schools obviously will still have events, but, uh, I've never seen, uh, a poster for, and I, I mean, I'm not in high school, obviously, <laughs> but I've never seen a poster for, for a show at, uh, um, at a church or a community center or anything like that. Oh. Uh, and if you look at any, basically any famous musician who got their start in the eighties or before the nineties or before, they always had community dances, sure. community halls, all ages shows like, you know, just stuff where high school kids could make awful music and no one would care, <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that stuff, you know, is so important. Yeah, in terms of like, yeah, I did. And I don't know what turned it. I mean, you know, was it liability insurance? Was it, you know, is it just is it just nobody who wants to organize these things anymore? Because, like I said, I just started organizing them because nobody else would. Exactly. So, so I, so I don't know what what you know how how to solve that, but uh, but uh, it could make a huge difference if you don't get a chance to get out and play. You're never gonna know if you can sing, for sure, yeah. <laughs> or if anyone's if gonna anyone's like gonna listen. listening to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's one thing to think you can sing. It's another to do it in front of people and get their opinion. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a like natural selection a little bit in high school. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, Jesus, my first uh, probably year or so, I was just a horrid singer. Yeah. And I was so driven to be a singer that I just didn't care what they said, and I just tried harder. And eventually, I got where I could carry a note most of the time. And... For sure. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but, uh, yeah, if you don't get those, those opportunities to play when you're really young and have the time and the, and the energy and the focus, yeah. you know, which you don't have in your thirties, <laughs> I, I don't have in my forties. So, um, so that's an interesting element to, to yeah. the whole thing is, uh, is where do kids play and how do they, how do they grow without, you know, without trying and failing. <laughs> yeah. Especially since like, like, um, if like the more live music is that kind of aging, especially like where where the new musicians are gonna be coming coming from? Yeah, yeah. There is a few de- decent young bands out there for sure. There's a little guy Brock Young who's I've like, heard. Yeah, I heard. He's like that. I think he's 13 or something like that, and he, maybe not even. And he's he's yeah. really good. Yeah. So, huh. but you know he's he's just setting up in Market Square to play. He's he, oh. he, he's not playing the Baby Grand or or uh, I mean I, I mean half the place we used to play are closed now, but. Anyways, that was just a other thought I wanted to. No, throw sure. In yeah, thank you. It's great input. Um, so, yeah, is there anything else? Like, you're a musician yourself. Do you want to promote anything that you have out or anything? I put out my first album last year after 25 years. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's called "I Did It All for You." Okay. Um, sorry, that's not. No, that's the, that's the name of the single. The album is called um, I Know This All Too Well. And where can people find it? Oh, you can buy it at Brian's Record Option and Zap Records and, uh, and all the usual online stores. And thanks again to Chris for sharing his thoughts and information on the festival in the mill. It's great to hear about the logistics of the festival and how much local musicians are involved in supporting it. Up next will be one of Chris's songs from his album, I Know This All Too Well, which he mentioned was available at Brian's Record Option and Zap Records, Spotify, iTunes, and pretty much everywhere else. So here is I Did It All For You. Enjoy.
spent $500 at the dollar store. Wore a Tupperware helmet to the Third World War. Wrote the longest short story you ever did read. I did all seven cents to make one good deed. Did it all for you. I did it all for you. I might be crazy or just out of touch, but I did it for you because I love you that Chris, like I said, available at Brian's Record Options, Zap Records, and pretty much everywhere online. In my last interview, I spoke to Tom Stewart, who was one of the co-founders of Homegrown Live. Hi, Tom. Thanks for stopping in and speaking to me today. Uh, if you'd like to just give a, a bit of a background on yourself. Sure. Yeah, my name's Tom Stewart. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Homegrown Live Music. Uh, I've been living in Kingston probably about 15 years or so. Uh, you know, I'm uh, an amateur musician myself and uh, enjoy l- uh, live music and I uh, really love Kingston. Sweet. Well, what kind of music do you play? Uh, I play mostly folk music. I play uh, mandolin, guitar, didgeridoo, harmonica. So I'm kind of a multi-instrumentalist, but not very good at any one of them. For sure. Um, and obviously you're a little bit older than some of the people I've been speaking to. Sure. Um, when you were watching live music uh, in Kingston like 15 years ago, what do you think, like, what was the the vibe for you? What, what drew you towards live music? Well, you know, I can remember uh, first arriving in Kingston, just passing through uh, before I, I moved here. And uh, turns out I, I saw Doug Greensberry, uh, who was... Uh, He's still out playing now and then, uh, but he's was playing. He was a lot more active uh, then, 
And uh, it was just such a, a cool performance. I didn't know it was Doug. I've, Doug's a friend of mine now, but at the time I didn't know it was Doug. But he was into uh, innovation, uh, innovating on the guitar, like with uh, loops and you know, which is pretty common now, but yeah. uh, 20 years ago it wasn't very common. And, and so he was an innovator and, and a great entertainer. And that was my first introduction. But as time went on, uh, you know, the club scene, uh, say back in the 90s, uh, late 80s, was even more dynamic than it was now. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a, you know, besides Kingston being a, a beautiful city, uh, that was another factor that drew me uh, to here and I, I, I had an opportunity to uh, get a job in the area and so I chose to uh, move to Kingston and, and, and the music scene and the, the water and the beautiful city was all part of that it drew me to Kingston. Mm -hmm. And just like from that like sort of outsider perspective that you had all those years ago, do you, what, what do you think the audience was like? Um, I think it was, uh, it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to compare but but I think there was a uh, uh, couple of things. I mean, you know, people were into the music. Uh, it wasn't, you know, we weren't going till 3 a.m., mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. We, the pubs, bars were closing at 1, 1 a.m. Uh, kind of thing. And uh, so bands would get on at 8 o'clock and, you know, uh, so that was a little more civil. Mm -hmm. I think the clubs were... Uh, more ready to, to pay bands and recognize that... Uh, you know, uh, live music wasn't an afterthought. Live music was uh, something that drew people in and uh, uh, got people to your establishment. And, and I think, you know, they were a little more likely to have regular gigging bands and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. mm. And um, do you think that's changed at all? Like, do you think there's there's fewer or more? I, I do. I think it's a... I mean, it, it's... A, for me, it's a two sides of the coin. On the one hand, we have uh, a really vibrant uh, local music scene. Uh, it's a really encouraging environment for people to develop music projects. You know, Queens is a big part of that. We get a new crop of uh, creative people coming through every few years. And, you know, there's many examples of bands that have popped out of the, you know, Queens collaborations, mm -hmm. and then they're off and gone to something else in their lives, you know. Yeah. So... But, you know, that's all part of this sort of amateur, creative music scene, which is really cool. But if you're a professional musician trying to make a living, it's a little harder because, mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of people that'll play for next to nothing and, you know, and they're pretty darn good, you yeah. know, and they can provide a lot of entertainment and, and, and clubs and things will exploit that. Um, and, the, the, you know, the regular musicians uh, that are trying to make a living it's very competitive, and, and there's just really not a lot of clubs uh, relative to the number of musicians that are mm. able to play. So it's tough, uh, and, and you'll, you know, the, the guys that are making a living doing that have to, you know, really uh, diversify what they do. Uh, you know, they're pretty creative that way. Um, you know, I think of uh, Roger James, who plays the... the, the uh, cruise boats mm. and Roger and, and Spencer, uh, you know, others uh, that'll play locally, but they'll also go on tour and, and uh, you know, get gigs in Ottawa or wherever they've got to go, where sure. you really have to work hard if, if you want to try and make some income from being a, a professional musician. But they can do it, but it's it's just 
Kingston has more musicians than it has gigs to play in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you think, like, I, I was speaking to Chris before, and mm-hmm. he was saying that the number of live venues has gone down in the past yes. few years. Do you think that has a significant effect? I think it has. I mean, we, we're missing those uh, medium-sized venues. Like, if you take the, you know, let's take the Ale House or uh, Stages, sort of, Ale House is pretty big, but let's take Stages. It's not that big of a venue, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, we need a couple more of those. Uh, the mansion is uh, pretty good, but they're they're even small, you know. Sure. Uh, so we need that mid-sized venue, uh, which we really don't have. We have a lot of small venues, and uh, again, you know, it's typical bands go on at ten thirty and go off at two thirty, yeah. which I think, uh, you know, one of my pet peeves is uh, maybe being part of the older crowd. Is I think we could do a lot of music from, uh, you know, have dinner, go out see a show, sure. be in bed by eleven, and 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 you know there's uh, there's a whole market there that really hasn't been exploited by the the venues. Yeah. Uh, and again, there's just not a lot of venues uh, sure. for music in town. Yeah, I actually hadn't really thought about that because of course when I'm when I think of like the live music scene, I think of like the small coffee houses, like yeah. music or like maybe like the grad club or something. It's it's a yes. small like very small venue. And for, like, local musicians, like, amateur musicians, like you say, that's totally fine. Because yes. people just want to get up and play. Yes. But then for professional musicians, for people who are trying to make a living, I, I, I hadn't really thought about the effect of just being only able to play at smaller venues that probably won't pay as well. That's really interesting, yeah. Yeah. And I think the way to think of it, I, I often think of it this way anyway, is, is you know, if you, if you think of how do you, how do you create a, you know, a, a, a great set of hockey players out of a town, Right? Yeah. Well, that means you've got to have the, you know, you've got to have the minor hockey and the amateur hockey and the semi-professional hockey and the professional hockey. And, mm-hmm. and our music is kind of the same. We have, you know, I think of it as a pyramid. You know, we've yeah. got this great base of of uh, amateur musicians, uh, uh, developing musicians, uh, uh, maybe some that are perfectly capable musicians but they decide I can't make a living doing this so they you know but they're still active sure, and, and yeah. so we've got that foundation and then as you go up the pyramid you know uh, you know you need the supports and, and, and things like that to, and the little coffee shops where mm-hmm. you know the grad club gets some acts coming through for example and uh, they're major national uh, acts sure, that you yeah. can 10 bucks you can pass through in a little intimate stage and uh, can't think of one right now but uh, uh, just go look at their roster. They, you know, I know there's good linkages between them and the uh, Wolf Island Music Festival, sure, and yeah. uh, so you you'll see some people come through there. And the same as Musiki, mm-hmm. Musiki has some uh, premium acts on tour, passing through. But you need it's you know you need to have it known as a music uh, venue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another good example is the RCHA, which has. Uh, you know, it's fairly active uh, local music club, mm-hmm. and again, they bring in uh, national or uh, acts uh, in occasionally. Again, it creates that hype. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But if they don't have the foundation, if they don't have the audience that's coming out every week, or you know, to see the locals, then they're not. You know, you haven't developed that uh, that uh, audience to come out and see the the bigger bands. So again, it's back to that. You know, if you just encourage it all. Yeah, we you know we all benefit, and uh, that's really what we have. Sure. Yeah. I'm now just going to transition a bit towards Homegrown Festival, right. which, is, which you co-founded, um, because 
I, like I realized that it, it's mostly smaller acts or mostly just people who want to come out and play and volunteer to play. Am right. I right in saying that? Yeah. Well, I would say it's uh, back to the hockey analogy. Yeah. I always say it's like junior A, junior B, uh, and junior C. And, and, you know, a lot of it is, uh, I would say, amateur or developing musicians, but the pros uh, get out and... Uh, I mean, it's we run out of musicians on that day often, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. It's just, uh, and, and some of the guys are guys and gals are playing two or three uh, uh, acts or whatever. It's it's really an explosion of music. For sure. Um, could you just like touch on a bit of the history and what inspired you to make this festival? Yeah, it was um, originally conceived as a fundraiser for the mill. It was uh, the the uh, librarian at the time, Roger Eccleston. The mill was just getting on its feet. Uh, they had no real sources of funds and we were trying to figure out well what could we do as a fundraiser for the mill and uh, so there'd been some uh, there was a years ago Matt Woodward uh, had a ran for a couple of years a music lovers weekend mm. he ran it on a weekend and it was the same kind of formula uh, music in different clubs uh, and um, that kind of thing. So we went to Matt and, and, you know, talked to him about it and asked him if we could borrow his concept and, and also, more importantly, uh, wanted to get his advice. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was kind of a bit of a naysay from a number of people that said, yeah, that was a dubber time, you know, the music scene was a lot stronger, it's not the same anymore, I don't think it will work. Mm. You know, yeah. we heard a little bit of that, but we went ahead anyway and, uh, you know, we did ten years, and it it just exploded. The the you know the interest was there, and the enthusiasm was there, and and uh, as you probably already know, we get something like three or four hundred musicians volunteering their time every year, and I and I think part of that is people just love playing music, but I think it's it's a natural. I mean, we're always asking musicians to. Um, play for nothing and you know it seems like they're always doing the next charity or the next charity this is a little different because it covers all levels of playing so um and it it's married to a, a concept the, the mill which uh which is a concept of again encouraging music music education so it's sort of like uh you know you're feeding the machine that created you again mm-hmm. it's just yeah. it's it's a very uh symbiotic kind of relationship uh, a lot of people appreciate the mill and they're happy to come out and celebrate and raise some money for for the mill and, and just have a good time for sure and um, just like about Joe's mill um, did you know Joe Chitlin personally I did know him personally yes um, yes so do you think that I mean obviously it's such a great initiative like like the the lending library itself and I'm sure it would have been something that any musician would want to leave behind. But um, just like you know, from your relationship with Joe, how do you think he would see Homegrown in Joe's Mill and like what it's done so far? Uh, he would be over the moon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I find myself getting a little emotional, but he would be um, just so excited about it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was uh, often said about Joe that uh, you know when people die young, you kind of think oh they you know we kind of tend to make saints out of them sometimes mm-hmm. but it was true of Joe in, in so many ways he, he he was really open with inviting other people to play music uh, he played in different bands 
he encouraged, uh, you know, I was a developing musician and, you know, he encouraged me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he really thought of a pri- as a privilege to play music and he really thought that, why, why isn't everybody doing this and how can I help everybody doing this? So, you know, the, uh, the mill and, and homegrown would just be, he'd be all over it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, he'd be really happy about it. Sure. Yeah. Um, and just in terms, I also spoke to Chris about this, but um, I was, because I'm trying to identify um, what, like, ways in which the Kingston community kind of cultivates this scene and the, like, the, the musician community. And he, ident- like, he, of course, I don't know if this might be a little biased, mm-hmm. but he was, like, homegrown because he saw the decline in live music, in venues, in performances, um, just in opportunities mostly, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he saw um, a steady increase, and he thinks, like, from then, an even like higher increase in more opportunities and more venues um, for live musicians after the conception of Homegrown. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, you can certainly attribute Homegrown to some of that. I think um, partly, you, you know, you remember that we also partner with the Downtown uh, Business Association who's sure. trying to yeah. develop the downtown as, as a, you know, as a, as a vibrant uh, uh, entertainment restaurant district. So, mm. They got on board pretty quick. Um, you know, we're in the shoulder season, so um, I also think we are introducing the idea to venues that, hey, jeepers, uh, I get a band in, uh, all of a sudden my sales are up, I'm, I wonder if I could do this again. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we're kind of training, if you will. We're training mm-hmm. audience. We're training venues. Uh, you know, people get a pretty darn good cheap cover charge, ten dollars, you yeah, go out to all these clubs. Sure. So yeah. we're training people to pay a cover charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're training venues to, to to say, hey yeah, you can put on music and bring bands in. Now they're getting the bands for free, but it's a transition, uh, they don't quite get it for free. We try to get them to cough up some uh dollars or support or something, yeah. you know. Um uh, but at least they get to meet these bands and we know for a fact that uh Bands do get gigs out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, a club yeah. club owner sees them for the first time or sees the audience react to them, and uh, they go, "Hey, I could get those guys back in my club." You know, and mm-hmm. uh, so that does happen. Um, so homegrown has helped with that, but I think it's um, I think it's more than that. You know, I mentioned Queens. Uh, it's always been a natural fit for like live music has always been around in Kingston. I, mm-hmm. I don't quite know why. It, it, it has this creative uh, attraction, but, you know, you'd have to talk, talk to other arts, like film. I know we've got a pretty vibrant film scene here. Sure. You know, Kings we've got a, a live theater scene. You know, we've got a writer's festival. Of course, yeah. Like, it's just a creative place. And, and uh, I think it's, you know, it's, uh, it's organic. Uh, why that happens, it, it, it's hard to, you know, say it's because of this or because of that. Mm. I think it all just kind of fits together. And, and you know, I often think of, uh, you know, uh, homegrown sometimes as, as, as uh, uh, little little windstorms that we just all collect them together and, and, and turn it into a tornado of creativity. <laughs> yeah, right? for sure. And I think that's probably true in other uh, arts areas of, of Kingston's or arts disciplines, creative disciplines, you know, it's just that it's a collective of people wanting to make things happen in their community, and, and for whatever reason, we seem to have it, and, and, sure. I, and I think it feeds itself, right, like if we're successful and 
creative and you know one good project spawns another good project right course, yeah. so uh yeah it's 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 magical mm-hmm. you know sure and just speaking about that and like um this sort of like tornado effect that you were talking mm-hmm. about um what do you see as like the future of homegrown yeah um well we'll have to see i mean um I guess I would just like to see it go another 10 years. Um, you know, um, it's going to evolve a little bit. We might, you know, we always see venues drop in and out. I mean, I've often, um, you know, been asked about, you know, are you guys growing? Are you guys, you know, like, you know, the, the, the tendency in, in our culture is, you know, you start something, it's got to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, no, we've never really had that as a goal. I, you know, we, I think we want to become, not taken for granted, but, uh, you know, just become part of our community, you know, like it's, it's something, it's, it's, um, it's intimate, uh, not to take away from the students, but it's not, it's not at the time when the students are here generally. And so it's becomes a community event that, um, and it's really specific to the music community. So I just, I guess I'd just like to see it develop and um, get ingrained in, into our, our music culture rather than grow. You know, we, we did uh, a little side project, well, a fairly big side project, Plant the Seeds Initiative this year, which celebrated 10 years of homegrown. Mm-hmm. And there we did some workshops and celebrated some of our, our major bands with concerts. And, and, and uh, you know, that's that kind of thing where we do a little more make homegrown maybe a little include as part of homegrown a little more music development and education mm-hmm. is something that might happen down the road sure. uh, you know we're going to with the transition uh, myself no longer coordinating homegrown uh, we're expanding the board we're looking at our mandate uh, we've already been successful in getting some uh, extra grants mm-hmm. So we might see uh, homegrown sort of branch out a little bit, uh, maintain the the festival as a core activity, as a fundraiser for the mill. Mm-hmm. Like that's never going to change. They they it's kind of a marriage right now that nobody wants to divorce from. Of course. And um, but I, I I could see us more to, sort of expanding or, or developing our mandate a little bit broader to again encourage music development and mm-hmm. and uh, education. For sure. And talking about like music development, these workshops that you led with or that were included with this Plant the Seeds initiative, were they targeted towards maybe more of the youth in Kingston or no. just anybody? It was just anybody. It was really tough. Uh, we we wanted to give back to those in a small way to the to the uh, you know several hundred musicians that volunteered every mm-hmm. year. So we yeah. went out and asked them. We said, "What could we possibly do?" And and you know they really wanted. You know, they wanted to play music, obviously, so we made sure there was lots of jams and, 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 and shows. Of course. Uh, but they also really wanted to give back. Uh, surprisingly, what do, what do you want to do to get, you know, something? No, they want to, they want to give. They just seem to want to give. And what that means is, is, is teach youth sometime, introduce people to music. Um, so we, we, got, we did some of that. Um, and... Um, you know, we we look for things like home recording, mm. uh, marketing, um, those kinds of things that that uh, voice voice was pretty popular. 
we, we stayed away from instrumentation because most of these guys and uh, gals, if they're musicians, they're rehearsing and, all, or, and, and practicing and they've got a teacher and, you know, so they don't need another class in mm -hmm. music. They, but they, you know, some of them didn't know much about marketing or they didn't know much about home recording. We also, which I think was a great thing, um, and I'm glad, so glad we did it, is we offered a lot of free studio time. Oh, that's great. And yeah. so we... We, uh, some people got in the studio for the first time, uh, other people had, uh, we couldn't offer very much, but um, it was an incentive to get, hey, instead of having that song sitting on your uh, computer, yeah. why don't you take it into the studio and get a recording? And mm -hmm. we had several people uh, that, yeah, we got some brand new songs uh, professionally recorded, uh, which is a great give back and... and uh, I mean, I think with no exceptions, they're all original songs, right? Mm. So now they're in the they're in that archive. What people are going to do with them, we don't know. So sure. uh, we'd like to see more of that. We'd like to see more of opportunities. Again, it's feeding the culture, right? We've yeah. got all these people writing these great songs. Let's give them some good, give them some time in the studio. Uh, maybe polish the songs up a bit. Uh, sure. Get them out there. You know, that's the kind of thing I'd, I'd like to see more of. That's great. Uh, well, of course, Homegrown sounds like it's such a great festival, and I'm sure it will be another one again mm -hmm. next uh, or in the coming months. Uh, when is Homegrown in 2019? May 4th. May 4th. Saturday, May right. 4th. Yep. All right. Is there? Uh, that's all my questions. Is there anything else you'd like to speak to the CFRC listeners about? No, but uh, check out the website uh, for Homegrown. Uh, if you type in Homegrown, Homegrown Live, you should be able to find it. And uh, check it out if you're around. Stick around after your exams or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know if yeah. people are around. Hang sure. out. Come back. Uh, celebrate homegrown. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Well, thank you so much for coming in. All right. Thank you. Thank you to Tom Stewart for the stories and the history of homegrown. It's interesting to hear how it has grown and reached so many people in the community. Thanks again to both Tyler and Chris for their support on this project as well. So from my research and especially through the interviews, I found that Kingston's live music scene may be smaller than it used to be due to many factors, such as the closing of some venues and the aging crowd, but it's still considerable and prominent within the community. And events like Homegrown supporting causes like Joe's Mill are certainly helping sustain it and helping the community grow, especially among the younger population. I'd like to thank everyone involved in this project once again, and also thank you for tuning in to CFRC and supporting your local campus radio station. I'm Sam Kaiser, the 2018-19 Robert H. Black resident here at CFRC with the support of the Department of Film and Media at Queen's University. I hope you've enjoyed learning more about the local music scene. Make sure to stay tuned for more great programming from CFRC 101.9 FM. Just to end this off, I'll play a well-known local musician by the name of Tom Savage. So here is Burnt by the Sun. Thanks again. Staring down the barrel of a gun And we're there
competition, no one's gonna win. But I wanna win you, baby. I wanna win you anyhow. This closeness is the only thing that I wanna feel. You know all my secrets, there's nothing left to reveal. And you can hurt me if you wanna. If you're gonna do it, please do your worst. And for If we're all here for a reason, you're a good enough reason for me. 